Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel according to Luke. We're going to be in chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and Heavenly Father, you have given us all that we need, Lord, to live and to live abundantly and to live well. And the greatest of all your gifts, Lord, is your Holy Spirit, your Son, Christ Jesus, and the words of Scripture to guide and direct our life. So, Father, be with us as we open up these words, as we look into them and try to discern your good will for our life. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now they were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in seminary, as a part of our education, we had to do a series of internships. And one of our internships for the summer was going to have to be in a church, and the other in internship was in a non-church setting, some sort of approved non-church setting. Uh, now, most of my fellow seminarians decided to do theirs in a hospital, which was typical for your non-church setting uh, internship. But I found a unique opportunity for an internship my second year in seminary. And what I chose as my non-church internship was prison ministry. And there was an opportunity there for me to be a prison chaplain for a summer. And so for about 10 weeks, I went to Broad River Correctional Facility and I assisted the chaplains there in the maximum security uh, men's prison. Now I'm sure that all of my cohorts who had done a hospital non-church internship had learned a whole lot. But I can pretty much promise you they didn't learn near as much as I did. I mean, serving in a prison for a summer, especially men's maximum security, I got an education that I don't think you can get anywhere else on planet Earth. Now, one of the things that, that we had to do as, as chaplains is that if an inmate had a family member that died, we had to be the one to inform the inmate that their loved one had died. And then if they wanted to go to the funeral, we'd have to go to the warden to see if they had the good enough behavior to go to the funeral and their sentence allowed them to go to a funeral. And then to see if they had the, uh, the guards and the manpower available because they would have to go in full shackles with two guards that uh, took them to the funeral. And, uh, and one day, this inmate, his father had died. And so I had to go break the news to him that his father had just died. And then to ask him if he wanted to go to the funeral. Now the inmate said, yeah, he was interested in going to the funeral. So then I went back to the warden and I said, yeah, he wants to go to the funeral. So, I mean, can this happen? 
The warden checked his records and his sentence and said, yes, we're on board. He can go to the funeral, but I need you to tell him this. If he goes to this funeral, this is the only father funeral he gets. I was like, okay, I mean, could you explain that? How many father funerals do you need? He goes, oh, no, you'd be surprised. He goes, someone will come in and their father dies and they get to go to that funeral. And then a year later, they're like, oh, but the guy that raised me, the one I really consider my father, he just died. I want to go to his funeral. And then two years later, oh, but the man that I consider my father my teenage years, he just died. I need to go to his funeral. And so the warden says, you need to go back to him and let him know he only gets one father funeral. And I was like, really? Do I have to do that? Because it sounds kind of insulting. But he, he insisted, I need to do this. So I went back to the inmate. I told him that he was clear. But I said, listen, the warden told me this. And don't take this the wrong way. Okay, this is not coming from me. It's from the warden. But he said you can only go to one father funeral. And I explained to him what the warden said. And the man thought about it for a minute. He didn't seem put off at all. He said, I appreciate that. Um, I'm not going to go to this funeral. He said, this is my biological father. But to be honest with you, I don't consider him a father at all. And the man that I do consider my father is in real poor shape. And I would really, really be hurt if I couldn't make it to his funeral. And so to my surprise, he understood exactly what I meant. And he actually accepted that offer to not go to this father funeral. Now, I've been thinking about that exchange with this prisoner for a lot this week. Because I've been thinking about being children and being a father and, and the thought came to me is that as much as you might not like who your father is, as much as you wish you could change who your father is, you really can't change your father. You're stuck. Your father is who your father is. But, but at the same time, we're not totally helpless. Because we can actually choose whose children we are. I know it might sound like a fine nuance. You can't choose who your father is, but you can choose whose children you are. See, it's kind of a, a two-way relationship. Both of those parts, the, the father and the child, both get to kind of pick who gets to be who to them. You don't have any control over who your father is, but you do have control over whose child you are. Now, I know you might be thinking, Rob, you got a lot of time on your hands. If you're sitting around thinking about this and coming up with these ideas about, oh, you can't pick your father, but you can pick whose child you are, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, and what are you doing with your time? But look, this means something, okay? Because I came to this idea as I was thought, thinking about this passage today and thinking about what it meant to be children of God and what it means to become like a child again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, in, in this story today, Jesus was, was gathered with his disciples, and the people were all around him, and they were bringing their children to Jesus, and they were bringing their infants. It says so he could touch them, where he could lay his hands on them and bless these children. And the disciples, for some reason, really took offense at this. And they were like, no, get, get these kids out of here. Jesus is too important to mess with your kids. Just go. And, and Jesus saw that, and he rebuked his disciples. And he said, no, no, that's, that's not what I'm about at all. Actually, I want these kids near me. And he, and he invited the children and said, let the children come to me. And, and with the children around him, he gave his disciples his object lesson. And he said, these, such as these, 
or who the kingdom of God belongs to. And in fact, you've got to become like children if you are going to receive the kingdom of God. You've got to become like children if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. And ever since Jesus said this, the church has been wondering, what in the world did he mean? What in the world did Jesus mean that we have to become like children and only children are the ones that are admitted into the kingdom of God? And they've, they've been thinking about this for the last 2,000 years. And there's been a lot of really good suggestions about what Christ meant when he said this. But there's been nothing really to settle the matter. Right? It was, it was cryptic enough that we could talk about it for the 2,000 years and still not be 100% sure what Jesus meant when he said, you must become like children to enter into the kingdom of God. So this week I've been thinking a lot about this passage, about what it means to be a child, about what it means to be a father. And I thought, you know what I should do? I'm going to go through the Gospels and look at every time Jesus mentions child or children to see if I can figure out what he means by this. Now, he didn't mention kids a lot or children a lot that would kind of illuminate this passage, but I did come across something that got me thinking. It was in John 1, chapter 12. It was the prologue to the Gospel of John. You know, the one we read every Christmas where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But what it says here in John 1, 12, he says, all who believe in Christ... Receive the right to become children of God. It doesn't say that they are children of God. It says they receive the right to become children of God. See, that's what got me thinking about the whole child-father relationship and who chooses who. And I thought maybe what Christ means here is not that we simply become like children, that we become children specifically of God. We must become not only like children, but children of God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that is what there got me thinking about the difference between God as a father and us as God's children. Now normally when you think of father-child relationship, you just think of who your father is. And your father is the man that you came from, the one that conceived you, or in the biblical version, biblical language, begotten, the guy who begat you. That is your father. It's just who you came from, and it's as simple as that. But it's really not that simple at all. Because even in the ancient world, the father-child relationship was very complicated and very nuanced. Because a father was not just the man who had begotten you to be your father the father actually had to accept you as his child. Uh, in the Greek world, he had five days to do this, to accept the child that was born and call it his child and therefore legitimize the child and declare that he is the father. Um, in the ancient Roman world, this could happen anytime. Anytime the father decided that he was not your father anymore, he could declare it and you were cut off and you were cast out and you were no longer a part of the family. The father wasn't just about genetics. It wasn't just about conception or being begotten or begat by this one man. It was about the father accepting you and saying, I am your father. Now, on the other hand, children, especially today, 
can decide they're not a part of your family anymore. There's even a process where minors can do this. It's called emancipation, where kids, it's very rare, can emancipate themselves from their family and say, I am no longer your children. And uh, we see uh, family disputes all the time where a child will disown their family and say, nope, I'm not a part of your family anymore. I officially disown you. I am no longer your child. So you see what I mean when I'm talking about this dynamic is two-way, this father-child dynamic. First, the father has to acknowledge the child and say, I am your father. And the other side, the child must accept the father and say, I am your child. Now, we know ourselves as being from God, and we have been claimed by God. He says, I am your father. So that first part, that's taken care of. But does that always mean that we are his children? You know, we have no choice in who our father is. But we do get to choose whose children we are. Now you might ask, how do we, how do we choose that? And, and that's part of what I was wondering this week is how does a person choose who their father is? Or how do they choose whose child they are? Especially like this, this prisoner who looked at his biological father and decided, I am not your child. Despite this relationship we share, despite the fact that genetically I came from you, I choose not to be your child. I mean, how does that happen? Or then how do we get to the point where we choose whose children we are? I mean, of course, the genetic thing is... It's a big deal. I mean, it means a lot to us. We look at who we came from and where we came from. But I think we know very well that that doesn't seal the deal. That you can look at the man that you came from that had begotten you and easily look at him and say, that's really not my real father. Or rather, I am not his real child. Because if you think it of, of a person who all they did was conceive you and compare that to, say, a man who came into your life and raised you every day, Whose child would you consider yourself to be? The one that had conceived you maybe in just one single night and forgotten about you at that point? Or the man who was with you every morning with, through the night, who raised you, who nurtured you, who fed you, who taught you? The one who really poured his life into you. That's the one you look at and say, I'm his child. That's the child that I belong to. Because someone who's given you that time and that effort has, has poured into you something more important than genetics. He's given you a spiritual impression of himself. And this is why like teachers and coaches can be so influential in the life of the child because they actually pour themselves, they take time to pour themselves into their students and into the players around them. And in doing so, they pass on something more important than physical genetics. They pass on something that I guess you'd call it spiritual genetics. They give someone their spiritual genes, and that's so much more power, powerful than the physical ones. For you to acknowledge yourself as a child of someone, you're recognizing something deeper than genetics. You're saying that this man here who I consider myself to be a child of, he didn't just influence the color of my eyes. This man gave me the color of my character. See, unlike physical genes, we didn't, we didn't choose those. 
but we do get to choose whose spiritual genes will guide us and direct us. And that's how we decide whose child we really are. So that's what I mean. You can't decide who your father is, but you can decide whose child you are. And Jesus told us we must become like children to enter the kingdom of God. You must take on God's spiritual genetics. You must allow him to shape you by his character, by his will, and by his love. You must take the impression of your heavenly father and there become a child of God. But I think the choice, I think it goes a lot deeper than that. That's just kind of what happens, this, this spiritual impression and this spiritual genetics. But why would a child really decide to imitate one man's spiritual genetics over another? Or rather, why would he decide to imitate one man's spiritual genetics over his biological father? I think the heart of the matter it comes down to trust. If you wade through everything else, through all the psychology, through the, the life experiences, nature versus nurture, I think when you really get down to it, it's going to come down to the trust. And what I mean by that is you're going to be the child of the one you trust. I think every, every child, every human being desperately longs for a father that they can trust. I'm not talking about just trust to provide, just trust to, to get us the stuff we need, but, but trust not to hurt them. Trust to, to shelter their spirit as well as their body. Trust to nurture them as they grow through life. Trust that their best interest is being looked after, their true best interest by someone. I think it's a trust that their, their deepest self, not just the body, is being looked after. I think a child needs a father that he can trust with his heart. And he can take his, his deepest needs, his, his deepest desires, his fears, his anxieties, all of that, all that that's in his heart, and, and, and to give them to someone they won't be trampled on. But they'll be accepted and they'll be nourished. And they'll be sheltered. I think back to that the guy in prison. And the way he thought about his biological father and the way he thought about the man he considered his father and the one that he considered his real father, that was the man that he could trust with his heart. That was the one whose child he considered himself to be, the one he could trust with his heart. And Jesus says, you must become like children to enter the kingdom of God, not just look at God as our father, as the place where we came from, but look at ourselves as his children, that we can trust him with our heart. It's not just any trust Jesus is talking about here. It's the trust of a child. Sometimes we call it the faith of a child. That's not the same as the faith of an adult at all. Faith of adult that's full of calculations and doubts and, oh, I don't know if I can prove this or not, or what if this isn't true, or what if I've got this all wrong, it's going to be different than I think it is. Now, faith of a child isn't like that. Faith of a child is pure, it's unquestioned, it's simple, it's real trust. A 
A child never doubts that dad is going to come through, even against all evidence sometimes. And they can be disappointed again and again and again until they finally get it through their heads. But until that happens, they have no doubt that dad is going to come through and do what dads are supposed to do. I think so much of the worry, so much of the anxiety, so much of the fear in our life comes down to the fact that we're not fully and completely trusting God. We're not being his children. We're not trusting him with our heart. You know, and maybe you feel like you got good reason. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe life didn't turn out like you wanted it to, and life didn't really turn out like it was supposed to. And maybe you might be 100% right. And so you're holding your heart back. But that's why Jesus said, you've got to become like children. You might be this way now, but you've got to go back to that place where you can trust God with total and complete abandon. Go back to that place where you can trust Him just like a child would. Now how you might ask, can we get to do that? Is there some magic switch we can shut off in our heart? You know you can't choose your father. But you can choose whose child you are. It doesn't happen overnight. But it does begin with a choice. The journey starts with a conscious decision. It's reminding yourself and telling yourself, I am a child of God. And it's making a resolve, I will trust God with my soul. I will trust Him with my life. And more importantly, I'll trust Him with my heart. And that, my friends, is the journey of life. That, my friends, is learning to live by faith. And the great irony of this journey, the great irony of this lesson is that the more we spiritually mature, the more like children we become. We become more and more childlike until we can achieve that good and perfect trust. A trust when we can run to Christ like children total trust and abandon and we allow him to gather us up in his arms to God be all the glory forever and ever amen